the way that we've leveraged credit throughout our lives has brought us to the point now where we're able to go to the Super Bowl and we don't have to spend thousands of dollars for the ticket. We actually get our tickets completely for free. And all we did was simply leverage credit to capitalize on, op on an opportunity. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Josh Steele. Josh is a full-time content creator, business owner, and pursuer of epic life experiences. As one half of the Credit Brothers, Josh uses social media as a way to teach millions of people how to understand and use credit to help them create economic opportunities for themselves. Over three years ago, his brother and him started making videos on credit because it was clear no one knew what it really was and even less knew how to leverage it. By understanding their own ability to leverage credit, the Credit Brothers have flown first class, gone to the Super Bowl multiple times, and stayed in luxury five-star resorts all for free by leveraging credit in ways most people don't know is possible. And that's what they aim to teach through their content each and every day. I love this combo with Josh because leveraging credit has been something I've done for myself and for Thrive on Life over the past decade, and I'm excited to hear some of the ways you may be able to do the same for yourself. So let's get right into it, and please welcome Josh Steele to the show. What's up, Thrive fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast, and today I have Mr. Josh Steele with me. How are you doing today, Josh? Oh, doing absolutely fantastic, man. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this conversation because Josh and his brother are a master at credit. And it's something that I've leveraged for probably about half my life now. And it's not something that I've really talked about openly on this podcast or in any other content I've done. I've done some few things on Instagram with it and I always get good feedback from it. So when I saw how much content you were producing in that arena, I knew that I had to bring you on. But before we kind of talk about the ins and outs of credit and the business that you and your brother have started and all the people that you're helping. I learned today that, well, actually I saw from your content that you were at the Super Bowl and I'm an Eagles fan. So I was jealous because you got to see, um, well, they didn't win. You got to see them lose. Uh, but it was still cool that you had the opportunity to go do that and learning the story of how you went to go do that. I'd love for you to share with the audience here today. Yeah. So I just got back from Phoenix literally last night at like 3 a.m. or something ridiculous because the airport was jammed and, you know, ended up getting back in a little late. But um, yeah, so the Super Bowl, right, it's, it's something that, you know, on the surface growing up, like my brother and I went to Patriot games like our whole life. Like I've been going to games since I was eight years old. My dad had season tickets, you know, I had the pleasure of seeing Tom Brady throughout most of his dynasty on the second half. So the latter three Super Bowls, I saw a lot of the regular season games, the wild card, the divisional, the AFC championship games. Like I've been to so many games throughout my life and the Super Bowl was always this like crazy mythical game to go to because it's just on this other level. There's 284 games that happen leading up to the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl is one of a kind. And it's evident just through even the process of going there. It's ridiculous. Like one ticket could cost thousands and thousands of dollars, not to mention all the other things. What's that the average cost of a Super Bowl ticket? Average cost, 
I mean, you're looking at about three to four grand if you're buying aftermarket. I mean, if you can buy them from somebody directly without it going through StubHub or something like that, you could probably get it for about two grand at floor price. So that's 300 or 400 section. You're not going to be 100s, you know, five rows from the field or something. You're going to be in the bleeders. But yeah, my brother and I just came back and we actually went with two of our good friends. Uh, one of them is our top salesman. So we kind of offer it as a, uh, as a perk of the company is like, hey, you can either take this larger sales year-end commission bonus, or we can give you a smaller bonus and bring you to the Super Bowl. And then one of my best friends, he's getting married. Uh, he's a huge Eagles fan. And I wanted to give him the gift of coming to the Super Bowl with me just kind of as my present. Um, so he was stoked. So, and he's an Eagles fan, huge Eagles fan. So kind of worked out that the Eagles made it to the Super Bowl. But what's crazy is like, we were able to go not just this year, but we've been going every year uh, for the past three years with the exception of COVID year, because it was just, it, it, it was a very weird Super Bowl situation. I don't even think they had like all the tickets, but I digress. So this is the second Super Bowl I've been to, second Super Bowl, well, third Super Bowl my brother's been to. And it's ridiculous to think about because for so long, I always saw this game as being like this unattainable thing. You had to have tens of thousands of dollars and take a loan out to freaking go to this game because it's just so high profile. But kind of relating back to what my brother and I do, which is we teach people about credit. You know, one of the things we've been able to do throughout our lives is use it in ways that people don't think is possible. Because credit is, you know, it's this malleable source. It's this foundation that you can have so many different opportunities stem from it in the sense that the way that we've leveraged credit throughout our lives has brought us to the point now where we're able to go to the Super Bowl and we don't have to spend thousands of dollars for the ticket. We actually get our tickets completely for free. And all we did was simply leverage credit to capitalize on, op on an opportunity. You know, one thing our dad always used to tell us growing up is that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And some may say that, you know, we've experienced luck throughout our lives in certain cases. And I think everybody does to a degree. I don't think anybody's like dialed into the point where everything is just, you know, working exactly how they plan. Sometimes things just happen and then they kind of get lucky or whatnot, but they're able to just simply capitalize on an opportunity. And for us, it was no different where I was a junior in college. So I was 20 years old and my friend approached me and said, Hey, you know, she went to the University of Oklahoma, big sports school, and one of her best friends ended up getting a job outside of college when she graduated working for an NFL agency. And this agency was a startup. So they were maybe one year, two years maximum in their, you know, in their startup phase. So, you know, with any startup, even if it's an NFL agency, there needs to be access to capital to continue growing. And, you know, as far as that industry is concerned, it's going to be paying for training for their players or being able to go out and scout, you know, or connect with people or whatever it is. So there's a lot of areas that, you know, money plays a role in the development of an NFL agency. So fast forward, my friend comes to me and says, hey, listen, you know, my friend, she's working for this new startup agency. You know, she's looking for access to, you know, some capital to pay for this training. And at the time I wasn't, the credit brothers didn't exist. Like this is just me in college, but she had known me for a while at this point. She kind of knew what I was, you know, into and finance and curiosity and all that. So like we'd had some conversations. So she just said, Hey, listen, I'm going to ask Josh and find out if he knows somebody that could potentially provide some capital to fund this training. That's what it was. It was she, this agent had a player needed some training and she didn't have the money to pay for it. So she asked me, she says, Hey, do you know anybody? And I say, oh yeah, no, I think I know somebody, you know, how much money do you need? And she says, oh, about 20 grand. And uh, mind you, junior in college, 
I was working minimum wage, you know, IT department at the University of Connecticut, helping people fix their laptops, you know, right before midterms or whatever. And I had about maybe $2,500 in my bank account, like total, like between savings and checking, like most of my money was going to like festivities on the weekends, you know, uh, you know, what college kids do. So I don't have that kind of cash, but what I did have was a credit card. And not only did I have a credit card, but I had a credit card with a $23,000 limit that I could use to actually pay for this training. And I knew that. And I also knew how to not pay interest on whatever balance I was going to take on that card. So, you know, when she approached me with this opportunity, I said, hey, like, I know somebody, it's me. And she's like, what? And then I go on to explain her and she's like, okay, I guess I'll put you in contact. And, you know, I ended up paying for the training and I got the money back, you know, maybe in about two months or so. That's how long uh, this this person needed, you know, before she was going to be able to pay me back. So it all worked out great. That was kind of the kickoff to the relationship. And, you know, fast forward, it's just grown, it's developed. I've gotten my brother involved and we've basically became, you know, angel investors in this NFL agency that's, you know, started to really pick up steam over the last several years. So now, Fast forward, we get to reap some of the benefits, but it all comes back to my ability to use credit in a, in a unique way that like most college kids and most adults would never think to use it, which is leveraging it when an opportunity presents itself for you to do that. But if I didn't have the credit card with that type of limit, I never would have been able to do that. What a hell of a story <laughs> to open up with here. There's so many directions that I want to go because even to get to the point of making the decision to say, yes, I'm going to do this, meaning, yes, I'm going to loan this person the money, you have to have a very high risk tolerance. Nobody just out of the blue is like, I'm going to loan this person $20,000 without having some understanding of, okay, I can, I can still operate as a normal human being with this risk. So I'd love to understand a little bit of how did you understand risk at that age? Because most people, they come from two different sides of the world. It's like they're either over risking, which they're taking on a lot of credit card debt and things like that, or they're under where they're told not to use credit, like credit is bad, but there's not that many people that fall in the line of I even understand the word leverage, but it sounds like you understood it at a very young age and I'd love to understand why. Yeah, it's a great question. And I kind of grew up in a, uh, in a non-traditional childhood. So my parents, you know, they were separated pretty much since the day I was born. So, you know, I grew up mom's house and dad's house, you know, spent the first 11, 12 years of my life at my mom's house and then transitioned to my dad's house, you know, to live until I was done with high school and now I was in college. So you know, I saw my dad on the weekends, eventually was living with him. And my mom's a school teacher, teaches elementary schools, done that her whole life, very normal. Uh, but my dad, he runs an electrical contracting company and he's been his own business owner for his company for close to 30 years now. And through that, I've been able to kind of live from one facet. I've been able to see what it's like to be a business owner, to be somebody that has to command your own life and figure things out and be creative with solutions to problems. But also through that, I've always been curious so when I started living with my dad full time, we would have conversations at night about all sorts of topics, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, you name it. So the conversations that I was having with him growing up as a 12 year old was about what a Roth IRA was. 
and how to avoid paying as much taxes every year on your business by understanding what a deduction is and what a tax credit is. So here I am, you know, I mentioned earlier, I grew up going to Patriot Games. You know, I'm at a tailgate talking with 45-year-old adults about why they need to get themselves involved with whole life insurance because they need to be able to create cash value in a policy and term life isn't going to do that. And they're just blown away. They're like, what the heck is this kid talking about? So when it comes to understanding risk and understanding leverage, I was just having these conversations at such an early age. And, you know, my dad's not perfect. I mean, there's a lot of areas he made mistakes. And in fact, he did not have the ability to leverage credit in a lot of what he did because of the type of business that he had and because of what he didn't understand at the time in terms of what credit is and how to use it, he ended up messing it up and he wasn't able to leverage it. So, you know, when it comes to this concept of how did I learn about leverage is I almost learned what it was through what happens when you don't have the ability to use it. And I think back to a lot of those conversations that would happen with my dad and, you know, he really set the tone for, why this concept is so important, not just in an entrepreneur's journey, but, you know, just in an everyday person. I mean, it's the most important three-digit number of your entire life. So why wouldn't you want to understand it? So obviously when people think about credit card debt or spending on a credit card, oftentimes you think of debt, you know, and you had mentioned that the risk tolerance itself, like, did I just take a random bet and say, oh, I hope it works out? I wouldn't say so. You know, in that particular situation is I knew that there was a very small time frame for when I was going to get paid back. I also understood how long I had from the moment I spent the money until I was actually going to be charged interest. And that's more technical. It's just understanding how a billing cycle works and what the statement date is, because you can give yourself like seven weeks of no interest, not even a payment due on your credit card. If you time it correctly, just by spending money just after the statement begins, because then you have about 30 days through the statement, then the statement ends, and then you have another three weeks for the grace period. So I knew I had enough time from the moment I put money on my credit card until I was going to get paid. So I already calculated it. It was a calculated risk, as they say. And I know that it's an interesting term. I'm not a big fan of calculated risk, because if it's a calculated risk, then wouldn't you be able to calculate the risk away? But it was, it was a decision that I made based on my personal risk tolerance. And that's just individual to me. You know, I can't speak for everybody whether or not they would have wanted to put themselves on the line like that. Because yeah, if I was a 20 year old kid and I got burned for 20 grand, like right out of the gate, yeah, that would have sucked. Like that would have been terrible. But it's almost like I saw my dad take risks throughout his life. And did they all work out? No. But more often than not, they would. And it would create this outsized return based on the risk that he took. The funny part about this is you did this in college and most people are getting burned for more, way more than 20 K <laughs> by signing up for student loans. <laughs> so it's like such an interesting thing. And it's, it's one of the reasons I asked you that question is because I was somebody that kind of understood that as well. And I loved your response because fortunately my parents, like I, I still remember getting my first bank booklet and back in the day it was, I forget what bank it was because it changed over to beneficial. I don't know what it was before that, but it was down the street from my house. And I still remember being like 10 years old and I would ride my bike to the bank and like deposit money. And I started learning some of these things. And then even with credit, like I had a credit card even before going into high school to pay some of the things that I was purchasing and my dad teaching me like, okay, pay it off every single month and the different things that you want to use it for. And 
it came from the curiosity of I saw him with like different credit cards and we'd go to Home Depot and he'd have a credit card and we'd go to Costco and he'd have to have a different one and just asking those questions. And I think for adults, a lot of the issues that we have is a lot of people don't want to ask questions because they feel inferior. They feel like they don't want to seem as if they don't know stuff. And the thing is like, you just have to get used to being a beginner and you have to be willing to kind of risk that. I wouldn't say necessarily 20 grand at times, but take some type of risk to just get to that next step. And you used a couple of words there. It was like, understand, build and, and use credit. So I'd love to dissect a little bit of what is credit? Because you mentioned how it's like the most important three digit number that we're going to have throughout our lives. But what is it? It's a great question because, you know, if you just look that up on Google, it's going to give you this like technical definition and whatever. And most people can understand that. But I think the way that I've really began to understand it in its most applicable fashion is credit is a combination of both trust and perception. Because the point of a credit score is it's a numerical representation of how much a bank or a lender is going to trust you with their money. If me and you were friends and you want to borrow 20 bucks from me, I'm not looking at your credit score. I'm basing it off of the relationship that we have with one another. Do I trust you? Well, how do you develop trust with somebody? Well, typically trust happens over time. Maybe you've borrowed from me in the past. Maybe I just know the type of person you are and the character and how you carry yourself, you know, in your life. And I say, okay, I trust this person because I've seen him say things that are maybe not, comfortable, but they need to be said, you know, maybe there's situations that have happened that make me feel or understand you more as a person. So therefore I trust you. Right. And then a bank is no different than that. A bank wants to trust people because obviously the bank makes money through being able to give their money to people. So why wouldn't they want to trust everybody? But how you develop that trust is what's extremely important to understand. So with credit, you know, there's credit and credit scores, you can kind of think of it just as credit. So you have those two parts. You have trust, which is built up through your history. That's really what your credit report is, is it's saying, hey, you've done all of these things. You've had this credit card, that credit card, this loan. You've applied for credit three months ago, or you applied for credit, blah, blah. Like it has all of the information that is what trust is created from because a bank or a lender can look at that and say, okay, I'm looking at all this information. Do I trust this person based on what I'm seeing? And the perception aspect is really how I think of the credit score because how you're perceived is off that three digit number because that's just a snapshot. It says, okay, you're a 700 credit score, you're an 800 or you're a 600 or whatever it is. And you're perceived very quickly based on that score. And I think about it just like if you're driving around in a nice car, right? If somebody sees you, they're going to perceive you as a certain type of person. They're going to say, oh, he's probably this or he's probably that. You know, maybe they think you're an asshole because you drive a Lamborghini or maybe you're driving a Prius and they're like, oh, this is one of those freaking eco guys. Like you're perceived very, very quickly with something like that. And I think the credit score is exactly that. Is it's a number, it's a quick snapshot. It gives banks that quick perception. But the more important aspect to what credit is, is that trust, because that's not something that is easily seen. That's not something that you can build overnight. That has to be done over the long period. And that has to be done repeatedly. And it has to be done in a, a simple but particular way. And I think as I've gotten older and as I've seen, you know, what I've been able to do and what my brother's been able to do and then what 
you know, other people have kind of done. The commonality is that without knowing it or knowing it, people that have good credit or have not had issues getting access to money have simply just built up the trust. They have created the reason to give to the banks to say, hey, I'm a good guy. You know, I'm a good girl. Like I can get money and I will pay you back. And the bank says, well, based on what I see, I agree. Yep. Here's money. So, you know, to me, that's really what credit is. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Josh. I hope you are loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Josh Steele. Trust is built through showing up in little ways over time. Here's a good example. Valentine's Day was yesterday. You don't build trust on Valentine's Day if you show up with lavish presents just on Valentine's Day. Yes, the person's going to be like, oh my God, like your significant other that day is going to be like, oh my God, this is great. But if you're an asshole every other day of the year and then on this one day you show up, like that's not what trust is built off of. Trust is built off in the little moments. Are you doing the little things to build that trust with your significant other? So it's easily applicable to relationships or maybe we were both in college for engineering. Like the trust we had to build to pass the test was we had to show up in little ways and study. You couldn't just cram the night before. I mean, there are people that can do that, but that's rare. It wasn't me. It was, I had to show up consistently throughout time. And then on game day, on that test day, I would get a good store for credit. What are some of the things that people, cause the other word that you, you've been using is build and how does somebody, what are little ways where someone builds that trust and understand that like this is a long game. So what are some of the best tactics for somebody to to build that trust? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because, you know, when I talk about build, it's it's kind of this um creative mechanism because how you go about building it can be different than another person and it just depends what resources you have available. So, you know, in my opinion, one of the best ways that you can kind of kickstart a building process is by leveraging people you may have around you. And what I mean by that is if you have a mother or a father, somebody that has good credit, maybe they have their own credit cards, then, you know, you can just actually leverage the fact that they've already built their credit and have them add you onto one of their credit cards. Snow is an authorized user. And the one part that a lot of people get mistaken with when it comes to using authorized users is you can get added to a credit card and you never have to have that card in your wallet. You can you can actually just be added to it. It comes in the mail and they chop it up and they throw it in the trash. 
You never need to spend money on it. You never need to have it in your wallet. The only thing you need is that information to go on your credit report. So if you have somebody like that, especially if you're 18, 19, heck, even if you're, you know, in your 20s, 30s, whatever, you can leverage that at any point. And I think that's, you know, awesome if you have the opportunity to do that. I mean, I've personally had my mom add me onto a couple of her credit cards. You don't want to go crazy with that. A lot of people go too hard and they say, oh, I want to be added onto like five different credit cards. Really one, maybe two at max is what I recommend. Um, but that's kind of the secondary part because you're basically piggybacking off of the history that somebody else has built. So if you want to create it yourself, which I find to be far more important, is you just want to understand that there's two types of credit you need to build. There's credit cards. Technically, they're known as revolving accounts, but we can think of them as credit cards. Uh, and then you also have loans, otherwise known as installment loans. So you have these two aspects, and a lot of people focus on one or the other. Usually, it's just credit cards, and that's fine. But if you miss 50% of the equation, then you're not going to be adequately building. It's almost like if you've built, you know, half the foundation of a house, but you kind of miss the other half. It's like, okay, well, like, how is the rest of this thing going to get put up and standing, right? So you need to focus on both of them. And it's actually really simple because there's two products uh, for each one of those. First one is a credit building loan. So a lot of people are may be familiar with like a secured credit card, which I'll talk about in a moment, but a credit building loan is basically the same thing where you can pay like $15 a month and it's going to report on your credit report that you have say a $1,000 loan. And debt in and of itself is obviously questionable. It depends why you have the debt you have and what it's costing you to have that debt. But it's important to show that you can handle debt. And that's what both a credit card and a loan does is it shows, hey, you can handle debt in these different ways. So by having, say, a $1,000 loan on your credit report, some people may think, well, that that's bad because it's showing I have debt. But it's actually not because it's, one, not a lot of debt in general because it's like $1,000. And then, two, what's more important is that if you create or if you set up a credit building loan and you're paying, say, $15 a month, you're not doing anything wrong because you're showing the bank, hey, I can take out money and I can pay it back. And that's extremely important when it comes to building is you want to be able to showcase in different ways how you can borrow things and then pay it back. So you can do that through a credit building loan. Product that I personally love is Credit Strong. Um, you don't actually take out a personal loan. It's not that type of setup. It's a little different. Um, you literally just sign up for it. Anybody can do it. It doesn't even check your credit score. And all of a sudden, you just you pay 15 bucks a month and you get this account to report on there. I talk about that one first because most people understand the second thing, which is secured credit cards. Um, you know, you may be familiar with it. A lot of people, you know, listening might be familiar with that as well, which is you go to a bank or you can do it online and you basically say, hey, I have $500. I want to give you that 500 bucks so you can take it, put it in a account that I can't touch and you're not really going to touch. It's just going to be there. And that's going to be my collateral to actually open up a credit card. Because to have like a real credit card, to have one that says, hey, you have a $10,000 limit, that's what's known as unsecured, meaning the bank just gives you that and trusts that you're going to not overspend and, you know, not be able to pay it back. So, well, how do you develop trust when you don't have anything? It's like, you know, if you have nothing on the report card, how are you going to get accepted into the school? So you can do that through a secured credit card because you're actually taking the risk away from the bank. 
you're saying, hey, I want to get a credit card and I, and I know that I'm going to be responsible, but just to make sure that you're comfortable, I'm going to give you the $500 that you can store in your bank account, you know, inside of the bank. And I'm going to get a credit card from you that has a $500 limit. So if I max this thing out and I never pay you back, you have $500 right there that I already gave you that you can use to cover this loss. So then the bank says, well, I mean, you basically took the risk out of the decision for us and you know, we have no other reason to deny you. So screw it. I guess we'll give you this credit card, right? You can kind of think about it simply as that. So when it comes to building credit, it's focusing on if you don't have any history, you have to focus on taking the risk away from the, the lender that you're trying to work with. One way to do that is through secure credit cards and other ways through credit building loans. And then once you have those for like anywhere from six months to 12 months max, once you hit that 12 month mark, you're really good. Then you can actually go and, and build it in the more traditional ways, which is just opening up credit cards that you don't have to put collateral down and kind of continuing the process from there. What if I'm the person that does have a history, but it's terrible? <laughs> How do I know when I maybe should be considering, I've seen you thrown around the word like credit repair. Like for me, that's a new word only because I live in the world where I was fortunate. I was taught some of these principles early on and then I kind of figured it out, okay, make your payments on time, do a couple of little tricks, up my credit utilization, meaning I have credit cards that ha give me credit over a hundred now approaching $200,000 so that my credit utilization is really low. So I learned that really early on. So like repairing was never really in my world. I never really understood that. If I were the type of person that 10 years ago, I made some really poor decisions and I'm trying to dig myself out. How do I go about doing that? It could seem to me like just from the outside, very overwhelming. It, it absolutely is because, you know, when we think of repair, there's kind of a few different areas that can go down. So if you're somebody that has like a lot of credit card debt and because you have a lot of debt on your credit cards, your score is really low and you can't get approved for things, you actually don't need repair. What you need is to pay your debt down. You know, and the methods you do that, there's a lot of different ways, but that is different than say, if you're somebody that had a bunch of credit cards and you had an auto loan and all these things. And then let's say you lost your job and you defaulted on your credit cards and you got your car repossessed because you couldn't make the payments anymore. That is more of the situation that your credit actually needs repairing because it's now outside of your own direct control to fix what happened. So in the first example, if you just had a bunch of credit card debt, your score could be like real low. It could be like a 600, even like in the 500s if you have maxed out credit cards. But if you pay those off, then within 30 days, your score is going to bounce right back up. It's going to be back into the 700s. Everything's going to be great. You can get approved for things, all that. So in the second version, somebody that has defaulted accounts that have gone into collections or they're charged off if they're a credit card, then even if you took all of the money that you owed and you paid all of the creditors and all the collection companies and everybody you owed money to, even if you did that, it would still take seven years for it to fix itself because the damage is done and it's not going to go away because you paid it down. So when we talk about whether or not somebody needs repair is it depends why they think they do. Do they have a lot of credit card debt? 
but they haven't defaulted. It's like they're just making their minimum payments and whatnot. And they're trying to get out of the hole or are they somebody that let everything go and is really trying to get back on the horse? So the, the issue with repairing credit is it's so complex because a lot of people actually don't know this, that there's three credit bureaus, Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. Those are the bureaus that house information that you see on your credit report. If you ever look at your credit report, you actually don't just have one credit report. You have three. I mean, you have more than that, but I'm not going to get into it. You have the main three credit reports from those three bureaus that I just said. And each one of those reports can potentially contain different information. So when it comes to repairing your credit is you actually need to look at all three of those reports and figure out what are the issues on each one of them. Oftentimes, it's the same. It's if you have a collection on this one, you're going to have a collection on this one and a collection on that one. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's only Experian that has the defaulted account and TransUnion and Equifax are fine. So the first thing is just understanding what needs to happen to your report or in this case, credit reports. And then also then understanding, well, how do I actually go ahead and properly dispute this information that's going to not just, you know, again, get the debt removed, right? It's not just about paying things. That doesn't work. A lot of people have this misconception of thinking if they if they just pay things down, it's going to fix things. But when it comes to repairing your credit, it's not about paying your debt. It's about removing the information that's on the credit report. And what my brother and I have, you know, discovered over the, you know, several years that we've been helping people fix their credit is that there's very specific ways that you can go about doing this that are going, that's actually going to move the needle. That it's, it's, it's not as easy as just going online and clicking some buttons and then magically things start coming off your credit report. It's actually a lot more complex. And because these credit bureaus are corporations, they literally want to make money. How do they make money? They make money by having things on your credit report. You know, one of the things that, you know, our dad taught us also growing up is that if you want to know the answer to why things are the way they are, follow the money. And it's no different with credit reports. It's no different with credit bureaus and credit scores and all that is that there's a lot of money behind everything. So if you understand what the purpose of something even being on your credit report is, which is Experian makes money, then they're going to do everything they possibly can to make sure that does not come off your report because otherwise now that's that's actually losing them money. So understand how, how would that how would they lose money by you not having information on their report? So let's say you have a credit card with Chase, right? Chase has to report that information to Experian. So Chase is a data furnisher. Mm-hmm. They have data and then they actually report it to Experian. And because the bank uses the credit bureaus to help them determine. So they're paying the credit bureaus? Effectively, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's crazy when you really start to unpack how it all works, but FICO, that's that's the mathematical model that creates your credit score. That's a that's a publicly traded company. <laughs> like you can when, when was all this created? So and I'm not I'm not huge on history, but from what I recollect, FICO have the FICO scoring model was created in like the 70s. And then the credit bureaus, you know, followed shortly thereafter. So this is like all in the past, say 50 years. I mean, if you look back to what it was in like the 50s or the 60s, because American Express actually came out with their first credit product, much different than it is today, but they came out with a credit based product in like the 50s. And effectively, it was just 
you knowing somebody that just said, Hey, you know what? <laughs> you know, your CJ is a cool dude. Why don't we just give him this card? Like it was, it was, there was no <laughs> official way of determining anything. And then they wrote it down in a fax somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And a ledger, you know, before the blockchain and all that these days, <laughs> but yeah, I saw a piece of your content where you were like basically trashing credit karma. Um, yeah. So I, I got a kick out of that um, because like, yeah, if I log into my Chase or my Bank of America or other places, it's like FICO and then I log in the credit karma and it's just like, man, they knocked me down 30 points on credit karma because one of my cards, we just put a uh, water filter in our garage and that was like 5K. So I put 5K down on this card and I didn't realize that one of the cards I put it down on had like a $14,000 limit. And then some of the other cards that I have have like $50,000 limits. So in theory, I should have put it on those other cards, but I wanted the Southwest points. But I didn't realize that, okay, this put my utilization over 50% of this one card. And then Credit Karma, they'll send you emails and it's just like, oh man, you want a 30 point drop or whatever. So when I logged back on there, I was just like, well, why did my FICO stay the same and then the credit karma one. So it was a question that I actually wanted to ask you because I saw you literally put out a piece of content and this has happened to me within the, in the past month because we got it done last month. Why is that? How come, how can they be so different? Some of the scores? Yeah. It's one of my favorite questions is, is why, like, do I trust credit karma or do I not? Or like, how should I use it? And the simple answer is that Although you're seeing a credit score, it's actually a different credit score because what I was referring to just a second ago with FICO being a mathematical model and it's a publicly traded company, Credit Karma does not use FICO to give you your credit score. They use something completely different. It's called Vantage Score. So if you actually log in on Credit Karma, like right on the front page, it shows you your two credit scores. And then if you actually were to click on one or, or scroll maybe to the bottom, I forget if it's on the homepage or if you got to click in, it literally tells you that this is a Vantage 3.0 score. So the reason they're so different is because it's just a different mathematical formula. It's just how the information is input and then how it's processed and then what the output is. So oftentimes people look at their credit karma and it's drastically different, like 30 or 40 points. I was just looking at mine and credit karma makes it look like I have a 770, whereas my actual FICO score is over an 800. So that's, that's a big difference. You know, in yeah, I looked of, last night, my FICO was like 823 and then my credit karma dropped like 790 or something. Yeah. And now that I'm like talking through this with you, maybe the mathematical model is because if somebody were to do math on me and the percentage, they know that even with that credit card that I just put a lot of money on, they know that I'm just going to pay it off. So from a mathematical standpoint, it doesn't change. My FICO score didn't change because mathematically I'm going to pay it off. So my score is going to stay the same and I haven't had any hard credit checks or anything like that recently. But if they're taking a holistic view, I guess that's what credit karma is doing. So if they're plugging in numbers that are happening today, then it could have a different effect. So I'm going to do a little research and digging into like how the differences of that, just because I'm a nerd, but I'd love to kind of jump into how did you get involved in this in the first place? Because you went to school for electrical engineering and I saw a photo of you where you were like operating on a quadcopter. And it was pretty funny because my senior design project, this is how like fast technology has improved. Like when I was a senior in college, like drones weren't necessarily 
really well built yet. There were people building them and there wasn't like the DJI drone that I fly here today. It was like in senior design projects, we were trying to build these drones and these quadcopters. And one of them looked exactly like the photo. And I think it was like your LinkedIn, but it gave me some good nostalgic memories. But then it also was like, okay, well, how did you go from quadcopters to helping people with their credit? So give me a little bit of the backstory of that. Yeah, I mean that, that that copter project was awesome. It was a it was a firefighting drone that had a camera on it that we put on there, and it was like going to detect where a fire was, and it was going to go and hover over it and literally drop a bomb. It was so cool. We bought this fire extinguishing bomb from you know some <laughs> Middle Eastern country or something that was like you know literally it exploded, and it was like a fire extinguisher in a ball that once it exploded, it put the fire out. So that was awesome, but. Obviously, did you actually test it? Yo, yeah, we tested it. Yeah, so we were. Um, if you're familiar with Sikorsky, they do mm-hmm. helicopters, and they have a uh, a headquartered location in I, I think it's Stratford, Connecticut. Um, might be might be incorrect on that, but I, I remember. Is it, it's is it right off of uh, what is that road? Thirty five. Uh, there's two roads, Merritt and something else. Yeah, yeah, you I can get there right the off the Merritt Parkway. I yeah. worked in Stanford for a little bit at UBS. Oh no way! Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, no, I remember yeah. the building. Yeah, it's it's right on the it's kind of like right on the water. It's a big presentation or whatever. So they were our sponsor, and uh, we just randomly were given the project in the sense of like we all had our groups, and then it was just like oh, pull a project out of the hat, and that's just the one that we got. So you know they they funded some of the stuff. That's how we were able to get the drone, and we tested it, and it was one of the most like frustrating projects I've ever done before, like as an engineer, but, um, you know, to kind of get to the other point, right? Like how did I make the transition from like electrical engineering and, you know, coming up with a way to freaking get a drone to automatically seek out and just, you know, put out a fire. Like, how do I go from that? And then after I graduated, I was doing missile defense for Lockheed Martin. So I was working on the pack three missile defense programs that we have here in the U S so not the offensive stuff, (laughs) not like a predator missile or something, but so I was doing that for a while, you know, about a year, year or so, but it's going to sound kind of funny. So my brother, right. I know he's not here right now, but he's my older brother. And throughout how many years, uh, like three. Okay. Yeah. I have a younger brother. He's three years younger. So I was like, when I saw you at the, uh, mastermind thing that we went to, I was just curious of like what the age difference was. Yeah. He's got about three years and like a foot on me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, in terms of height, um, when people see us next to each other, they're like, wait, are you like actually brothers? And I'm like, yeah. How tall is your dad? Uh, he's, he's six, four. And then my brother, Chris, he's like six, six. So he's just, he's just a freak. He's a giraffe as I like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> but so he's my older brother. I'm the younger brother throughout our entire childhood. I would have kind of follow in his footsteps, you know, things that he got into, you know, if he started liking WWE, all of a sudden I'm watching it, you know, and whatever wrestler he liked, I liked the other one just to create that, you know, dichotomy and like wrestle with each other, whatever. Right. So like throughout our lives growing up, that's kind of our relationship. And I've always been close with him. He's, I have six siblings and he's by far the one that I'm the closest with. So, you know, fast forward, right. I started living with him when I graduated college and I got my job. And when I was living with him, I just started to notice he was just using credit cards to do like crazy things. Like you would go to an Apple store and buy like $10,000 worth of MacBooks. And then he'd come back and three days later, he would just go and return them all. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what, like what is happening here? Like, this is not normal. You know, and he goes on to kind of explain like why he's doing it. He's getting all these credit card points that he can turn into cash. And he's like making all this money, you know, not like all this money. He was making like maybe like a thousand dollars a month or something doing this, like effectively a side hustle. And, you know, he's, 
started explaining that to me. And then I'm naturally curious. So I get exposed to it. And then I start digging into it. I learn what it is. And then I say, okay, well, that's cool. Let me go down this rabbit hole even further. So I start learning everything that I kind of now know about credit because I had the foundation, right? I had the conversations with my dad and I had already at this point used my credit cards to get involved with that NFL agency that it told you. This is after that, but I just went down such like a deeper hole that now the glue started to come together with like all of the knowledge that I had was kind of spaced. What year was this? This was 2019 fall. So that timeline is important because in the fall of 2019, I was doing this credit card side hustle stuff, if you will. I was learning, I was doing things, I was making a little money and I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then Chris was doing the same and that's what we were doing for like several months until basically until the spring of 2020. And then all of a sudden life stopped on a dime with COVID. That came and it just, it rocked the boat in the sense that I was going off on the weekends, I was doing stuff, I was busy, I was hanging out with friends and then all of a sudden I wasn't. And Chris was in the same boat where all of a sudden he had time and I had time and everything we were doing now we can't do anymore. And leading up to that point, we had been having conversations with our friends. We had been having conversations with our family because now they kind of knew that we were like very much into this credit thing. And they kept telling us like, wow, like this is crazy information. Like I can't believe nobody teaches this, blah, blah, blah. And then we were actually on a call with uh He's now my brother's roommate and one of my best friends. His name's Jake. We were on a call with him and he's basically telling us like, hey, the fact that you guys don't have a social media profile of any kind right now is a disservice to everybody that could be learning these things that you're teaching me and you're teaching others about. He said, every day that goes by, you're doing more and more of a disservice to everybody by not putting this content that you could be creating out there. When we had all the excuses in the books, what's our name going to be? What's our logo going to look like? What are we going to post about? And it's literally one of the most defining moments of, of our lives as far as entrepreneurs and now business owners and the whole thing, because Jake stopped us there and he said, okay, guys, here's what I'm going to do. He like turns off his camera or something and he's like, I'm going to be back. He goes, he takes a photo of his blinds, like his window blinds. And he puts it on Facebook and he comes back and, you know, he says, Hey guys, I just posted a photo of my blinds and I want you to go look at it. So we go to look at the post and it's got two likes and one comment. And he's like, you see that? And we're like, yeah, no, we see it. And he's like, I have two more likes and one more comment of a photo of my blinds. What do you think you could get? if you were to teach somebody how to use their credit score to buy a house, do you think that's more valuable information than this photo? And we're like, yes. And he goes, talk to me once you have a page. <laughs> so hell of a friend you got there. Oh yeah. That's I mean, an awesome story. Yeah. I coming from, I'm like, I went from a world of content of beers, like posting my beers to like, okay, this is like a full fledged. Now I know how to like produce, I could produce a movie if I really wanted to at this point. So hearing you and like also seeing your content go from the zero that it was to what it's at now um, and how it got there for the story like that is, is really intriguing. Yeah. And it's uh it's something where, again, that transition from engineer to this is 
I knew right around that six month mark in industry that it was just going too slow for me. It wasn't satiating in the sense of what it was like going through the process of getting to where I was. And I think that kind of opens up a broader spectrum of conversation (laughs) in terms of, well, do you fall in love with the process or the outcome? I loved college. I loved learning about engineering. I loved getting to the point where I could actually get hired as an actual electrical engineer to work on what I perceived to be some awesome things. But once I got there, it didn't hit the way that I thought it was. It wasn't what I had envisioned in my head it was going to be. So it was really just, again, that stroke of luck where right as I was figuring out, hey, my brain works this certain way and I get stimulated through these particular ways that this job that I'm at right now is not doing for me. It was almost at that exact same time that what is now the Credit Brothers, the brand and company I have with my brother, like it was right around that time that that started to seed itself and it started to kind of have some roots getting formed. So we ended up creating that page and we posted for 60 straight days on Instagram and we had less than hundred followers and most of them were like friends and family and all that. And then my brother was on a conversation with a different friend of ours who was on TikTok said, Hey, you guys got to get on this thing. This, this place is great viral content and it's, Oh, it's videos. So you don't have to like create you know, a page post or something. It's like, you just film yourself and you put it out there. So we gave TikTok a shot and that was the, that was the one that actually opened, opened the floodgates. I mean, it was like our fourth video ever um, was something that I made and threw it up there. And within a week it had over 3 million views, you know, our Instagram page 20 X, like we went from less than a hundred followers, like 2000 followers. And, you know, then it kind of kickstarted everything else. And like, when that happened, it was like this, it was like this feeling of adrenaline of like, wow, there was a genuine impact that was made from this one piece of content that 3 million people viewed this and all the comments and all the DMs that we have. It was like the solidification that everything that we had kind of been learning about and thinking about and then actually starting to do, it's like that was the one thing that really stuck out to me as far as making me aware of this is what I like to do. I like to create and tap into that creative side because that's a natural polarity of what engineering is. Engineering is very practical. It's very logical. It's here's the sequential steps you need to go through to get the desired outcome. But when you're able to also sprinkle in that creativity of, okay, it's an open loop problem. How do I convey this piece of information to you and millions of other people in a way that's going to create interest, create curiosity, create that emotional response and that connection. So then you remember it. And it's infinite. That's, that's the thing. The creative loop is infinite versus it hits home so much. I get the engineering degree because I thought that was the path. And then you get to a desk job and it's not really infinite because you, you show up and there's just so many constraints that you're operating in that you're just not fulfilled because you do have that creative energy in you and you want to show up to a blank canvas and then start creating, but they don't want you to show up to a blank canvas. They, they set the canvas for you. They put the different types of pencils and paper that you should be writing on. And then they say, here's your job, do it nine to five and then show up again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And, oh, here's your next job. So there's no 
creativity and the whole thing because you know exactly what your path is going to be. And people like us that love to solve problems, that's really what it comes down to is when you got onto the TikTok, and this is what I, when I help consult people on like how to leverage content, because they're, they're obsessed with the problem that they're solving. So like for you, it could have been, we want to help people with their credit. And if you were, if you were to tell me that, it was like, you want to help people improve their credit. I would say how many people, and then you're going to be like, well, like I'm going to, I want to help X, Y, many people want to be like, well, what if you could 10 X that Would that make you happy? Would you be fulfilled if you could 10 X the amount of people you're helping? And then you're going to respond. Yes. And I'm like, well, that's where social media comes in. And most people, they're not viewing it that way. They're viewing it as like, that is the actual business. Solving the problem of helping the 10 X people is the business. That's how you scale something. What's the impact been on the business once you created the TikTok and have kind of gone viral? The reason I want you to speak to this is because there's a lot of people out there that get caught up in the nitty gritty of like perfecting their product or their business when the reality is one part is that, but then the other part is how do I drive enough eyeballs to this thing so that I can actually help people? It's a, it's a fascinating question in, in terms of what social media has done, you know, for the business. So, you know, to speak to the practical people, you know, ones that, that go off of numbers is January of 2020 to June of 2020, my brother and I made a collective $10,000 in revenue. And that was through being in Facebook groups and commenting on things and making Instagram posts or whatever. And, you know, all these kind of like one-on-one type pitches, if you will, where we're talking to someone directly and then they say, hey, here's my problem. And then we say, oh, well, here's our solution. And then, you know, over six months, we made 10 grand. Once we got on TikTok, which I know that we were on Instagram prior which is social media, but, you know, when we think about the eyeballs and the virality, I mean, that's namely going to be coming from TikTok. And for us, that was, that was the case. So once that became an integral part to our business, we made what took us originally six months, we made that in one week. And that carried forward exponentially as we were then be able to figure out okay, what are the problems people are telling us? And I would say if there is the biggest difference maker that social media has made is people, we, there's no guessing for us. People tell us what the problem is. And that's really all business is, is, well, what problem are you solving? Well, what's the best problems to solve? The ones that a lot of people have. So through social media, we were able to be told hundreds of times over, hey, here's my problem, help me solve it. So the reason our revenue went from six months to make 10 grand to a week is just because we had now a floodgate, you know, the floodgates were open where all these people were coming in to say, hey, I need help with this, I need help with this, can you help me? So at this point, I mean, it's it's hard to quantify it. I know fast forward, you know, to where we are now, where we've had this going for, you know, going on three years, you know, social media is everything. It's top of funnel for the business, if you will, because we don't run paid ads. We get people that want to work with us or they want to invest in the products that we've created for them or work one-on-one, anything that we potentially can offer to them. They want to do that because they found us on social media, because they saw a video. And my brother loves this one, you know, sequence. It's no like trust. 
So social media has allowed people to know who we are and also to like us. Because if you know somebody and you like them, you have a way higher chance of actually trusting them than if you didn't know who they are and you didn't like them. So when we put out videos on social media, it's literally developing the foundation to where by the time they get on a call with us or our team at this point to talk about something that they're looking to get or have us help them with, it's the legwork's already been done. And that is not possible without social media because you're not, you're now starting from ground zero. What are some of the fundamental problems that people have seemed to have had over the years? So it's, it's the lack of knowledge, namely in terms of how to understand credit. So there's people that maybe they're recently 18 or 19 that don't know how to build it. And then there's people that are trying to build it for the first time because they were all cash, cash is king, blah, blah, blah. And then they go to buy a house and they get told, yeah, you're going to need 20% down because we can't approve you for this FHA. So we kind of have that, which is a lot easier to tackle because that's just, hey, here's the blueprint of what you need to do and just do that. Because that was going to be my next question is like, okay, if your target is people that don't understand credit and things like this, it's not like they're going to be able to fork over a lot of capital because there are the types of people that are like interested in trying to figure out how to increase their capital. So what are some of the products and monetization pathways that you've created where you're actively creating a business because you need to create wealth for yourself to continue to help more people, but you also have to be conscious of the people that you're solving the problem for. So like what are, name some of the products and some of the things you have going on so that way somebody listening could potentially tap into those. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, just as a, as a quick offshoot, right. To be a tried and true creator is very difficult because you don't really make money outside of brand sponsorships or affiliate deals and stuff like that. So we are both creators and business owners in the sense that we actually create content for the purpose of creating content first, mm-hmm. which a lot I of other, that. a lot of people have noticed in terms of if they're a business owner and they create content, it tends to be very salesy. It's very direct response and they're not really giving value. And we kind of take the opposite approach where we're content creators. We're going to give you so much value that you're like, holy crap, like what's behind the gate? Like what happens if I give you money? Like what, what am I going to get now? Right? So it's kind of like the level is, is already elevated in someone's mind for what they're going to get. So, you know, we started with service-based deliverables. So namely credit repair was the first thing we ever did and have since, you know, scaled the fulfillment. We have a full team in place that handles, you know, everything for us, you know, because we used to have to be boots on the ground to like, you know, handle everything, but now we've hired the right people. So service-based, you know, if somebody actually needs credit repair, like we talked about earlier, we have, you know, a process in place that we can directly help people one-on-one with that by taking care of all of the work for them. It's a done-for-you service. And then since then, we've created digital products as well that help, you know, someone that's building credit for the first time. We have a low-cost 800 credit score blueprint that we call, which is, you know, a PDF and it even comes with a, you know, five or six videos as well that just tells you, hey, this is what you need to do to build credit to an 800 credit score as fast as possible. Here's the sauce. This isn't just you know, the generic shit. This is like, hey, this is what's actually worked. This is what you need to be doing. And that's a great way for anybody that's just starting out trying to build it for the first time, get going on stuff. But also we've now kind of transitioned from not just helping consumers, you know, helping one or two people, you know, understand credit or whatever. Now we've also transitioned to helping business owners get access to money because that's the biggest question as business owners. Well, I need money to do X. How do I get it? 
So we've actually developed a done-for-you funding service that we call, where we're able to help a business owner directly get access to up to a half a million dollars of capital for their business through various methods. Um, so it could be lines of credit. It could be loans. A big one is 0% interest credit cards. So we love the credit card side because if you're able to get 0% interest for 12 months and you're able to get $100,000 worth of 0% interest for 12 months, well, what could that do for your business? And you know, a lot of business owners have, you know, taken advantage of working with us on that. And, you know, we've seen some incredible things come from that as well. And again, that's just business owners coming to us and say, hey, I need access to money. Can you help me? You know, we didn't conceptualize this three years ago, but now it's what we're doing because, again, we're being told the problems. And then we also, you know, I know we didn't really talk about it, but we have a, a digital product all based around travel hacking and how me and my brother are able to fly in first class or stay at luxury hotels and stuff and not have to pay, you know, any money to do it. And it's all just by strategically using your credit card. So I wanted to get into that, but man, you've just been so valuable in terms of like, I'm a practical guy that loves to provide value. And I feel like, yeah, the travel hacks are cool. And like, that's what satiates me. But a lot of people just understanding credit and how they can leverage that credit, I think is way more valuable to most people out there. So I do want to allow you to speak to if somebody wants to learn about your travel hacks and things like that, because offline, I'm going to be asking you about some of those, where would they be able to find that type of content so that I can funnel whoever's listening to this, if that's of interest to them. One of them is a Southwest hack I use. I got Aaron and I free flights for like two years by signing up for two Chase cards, one Chase business card, uh, which was a Southwest Chase business card, and then one personal card when we bought a new house and we knew we were buying stuff. So I had an office and equipment that I was buying with my Chase Southwest business card. And then I had all the stuff that I was buying for my house all at one time, which gave us enough points that then got her companion pass for me. So we flew free. That was probably the best hack that I've done over the past couple of years. But um, I'd love for you to kind of tell those out there where your information on that is. Yeah, I love that, by the way, because that's the Southwest Companion Pass. And that's one of those. We've actually done a video on that, which is, you know, based on the welcome offers you can get, you can get this pass that Southwest offers where, hey, you and somebody else can fly for free. So that's that's absolutely a travel act that, you know, is, is, is awesome. So I'm glad that you figured that out on your own. But for people that want to kind of take it a step further and understand how to do it, effortlessly through their life. It's kind of like adding that skill set. So then when it comes time to travel, you have this, let's call it like this travel currency that you can tap into and deploy. Uh, that's going to be through the product that we recently created a few months ago called the Travel More Academy, where my brother and I put together a full video program, PDFs, live Zoom calls that we do as well once, you know, once a month um, that literally is all focused on how you can be using credit, specifically credit cards, to travel for free because there's a lot of things that play into it and a lot of people think they are travel hacking when in fact they're not because it's not just logging into your Chase account and like using your Chase credit card points to book a flight or logging into your American Express account and doing that. It goes way beyond that and a lot of people think that that's the limit is, well, what else is there to learn? There's actually a whole other side to it once you kind of get into the details. So if you are somebody that is you know, interested in that, then that's why we developed that product to help people understand how they can travel more without spending more. Amazing. I love that. I got two more questions for you. One, what's the difference between 
business and personal credit? And then two, what's with your hat? <laughs> so <laughs> answer the first one, the first one first. And then we're going to end on why you have a hat on that says stop being poor. Oh, it's my favorite question. So uh, first thing, right? So business and personal credit. So you have your personal credit score. That's like you as a person, right? It's like individual. And then you have your business credit, which is obviously associated to the business. So they are completely separate. What you do to one does not affect the other. And what most people have the misconception of, especially when I talk to business owners, is they think they need to build business credit, which it's not a blanket answer. Everybody needs to build personal credit. That is, you can't get away from that. But it actually gets a little bit more intricate with whether or not you need to build business credit. It literally depends on what type of business you operate and what you would want to get. So I'm not going to get into those details right now, but you know, the difference is you build business credit separately from personal and what you do to build business credit is different where there's different products. There's actually different bureaus. So I mentioned earlier on the personal side, you have Experian, TransUnion, Equifax. Well, that's not what you have on the business side. It's, you know, Experian business or it's Duns and Bradstreet. There's different bureaus, there's different scores, there's different ways that you build it entirely. So it's kind of like they're separate. And what I would recommend people focus more heavily on is personal credit. And when you apply for a business credit card, what matters is your personal credit score. Because most of the time, like in 95% of all applications, you are going to have to be a personal guarantor, a PG. Business. Yeah. Yeah. Which says, okay, well, the business is a business, but who's the owner? Who's the person applying for this? So then if you have to personally guarantee it, it means that you as the individual is going to be checked, which means they're going to look at your personal history and all of that. And that actually plays a more significant factor to most business products, you know, whether it's a loan line of credit, whatever, unless it's a non-PG'd product, your personal credit is the one that matters. Solid information there. Last question. Stop being poor. <laughs> what, what's the story behind the hat? So I, I actually, I got this hat because one of my buddies had sent it to me, you know, through Instagram. They were like, oh my God, this is so funny, blah, blah, blah. And I saw it and I was like, you know, that's not just funny, that's accurate. The purpose behind it is it's, it's in a way supposed to be funny, right? Like, oh, stop being poor. It's like, oh, I have now just decided to no, no longer be poor. But <laughs> it's, it's really related to the mindset of if you operate from scarcity, if you operate from climbing out of the hole constantly, then you're operating from this place that is going to make it more difficult for you to actually elevate yourself. Because I know that certain parts of my life have came and, and went. And if I did not operate from this alternative mindset of, you know, I'm not poor, you know, I have this potential and I have this wealth you know, I'm not talking about how much money you have in your bank account. It goes beyond that. It's it's more related to do not operate from this position of you do not already have enough. It's about focusing on the future. It's not about focusing on the past. And oftentimes, people that are too focused on what's already happened and not on what they can do in the future believe themselves to be poor because they don't believe that they can actually be rich. And that's all subjective. It's mm -hmm. not about dollars. It's about what does success mean to you? What, is, what does wealth mean to you? Um, which obviously we don't have to go down that rabbit hole right now. But um, that's why I wear it. And funny because I, use, I thought I was going to get a lot more negative reaction from this hat. But there's been 
a hundred percent positive that's came from it. And that's, that's data. That's just me wearing this around. And at Trader Joe's talking to the cashier who looks at it and says, that's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, man. And then we just chat you know what does that mean to you and then boom he, he tells me and then I'm out at the store and then you know somebody else says something like I've only gotten positive reaction from it and I think that you know what I'm trying to spread is hey don't be poor come from a different place I, I love it and um it's one of my <laughs> one of my favorite hats to wear have you ever heard of the concept talk trigger I have what not. a talk trigger is yeah there's a book on it but it's a great talk trigger it means like it breaks the natural habit that we see throughout the day. So most people that are wearing hats, you see kind of like a plain hat or a brand that you've noticed. You're basically breaking that for most people. And I found the same thing when I wear shirts, like there's one that I wear that says real food is medicine. And a lot of the time it always gets a remark. It's actually like you fly a lot. I'm sure if you go to airports, like you're going to get a lot of comments on that because you're breaking that. Like everyone else is wearing just these monotonous type of, things and then out of nowhere like you're wearing like the stop being poor hat um and i'm glad that it's a lot of positive because that's what we need in this world and i just want to thank you for showing up here today and, and bringing that positive energy and uh making me question where am i showing up poor in certain ways of my own life and anybody that's listening where are you showing up because it is more of a mindset than it is again again anything that has to do with your bank accounts where in little ways of your life do you believe in yourself versus you don't believe in yourself and what can you do today to kind of let go of yesterday and just move forward till tomorrow. But anybody that's loved hearing you tell your story here today, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, they can, uh, they can check us out on social media. Uh, Instagram, uh, is the best if you want to kind of follow the stories and the day to day. Um, we're, we're obviously on TikTok as well, where we do a lot of videos, but Instagram is a little bit more interactive. So check us out there. And yeah, I just encourage anybody that's enjoyed this conversation or, or has curiosity built around credit, um, check out our videos. I mean, we do so many different topics. And if and if one um, really speaks to you and you want to like, share, comment on it, um, you know, or send us a DM, you know, more than happy to create a conversation and see, um, you know, how we can help. I love that. Thank you again, Josh. At the end of every episode, I kind of dissect what my biggest takeaway from the podcast is. And I really liked the story of your brother's friend, the roommate of the blinds. I feel like it's a good representation of even just the credit that you're talking about, credit scores and the different companies and, and things that you can do. The reason that I feel like it hits home is when he took that photo, he just took an action and he took an action that made you realize that taking the action is better than not doing anything at all. And I think a lot of people fall in the trap of, especially if it's a credit score, like, oh, like I'm at a 600 right now. But the reality is what action can you take today? What is that photo of the blinds that you can take today where it only gets two likes today, but if you keep taking actions, maybe you're going to turn it into something that gets hundreds of thousands of views, hundreds of thousands of likes. And I'm just using kind of like a metaphor here. It's not an analogy. I mean, it's not necessarily has to do exactly with what you're doing, but what are little actions that can lead to that better credit score or just lead you to being a better individual or just how Josh ended, lead you into a mindset that's not poor. So I really appreciate you sharing everything you did here today. It's super valuable. And I look forward to future conversations because I know we're going to come back to more of the travel hacks and, and things like that. 
But if you were listening to this, best thing that you can do for Josh here is to share this episode with anybody that you feel this applies to. Give it that five-star rating and review. Help us out. That's the best way that this show can grow. Any last thoughts here, Josh? Yeah, one came to mind when you were giving your takeaways there, and that's people say knowledge is power, and absolutely knowledge is helpful, but my brother and I find that what's more important is not just having the knowledge, but applying that. So if you heard something today, if you learned something, don't just sit on it. Actually go out and do it. I love that. And check out Josh and his brother's products, because if you need somebody to hold you accountable to applying that knowledge that you learned here today, you found your guys. Until next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Thrive on, y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive On Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive On Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.